Welcome to WWDMD, a podcast that is all about peeling back the curtain on what clinicians really think and feel as they work with others. My guests, clinicians, who are also sometimes clients themselves, risk their vulnerability as they publicly share their emotional reactions to their clients, disclose their challenges in doing the work, and reveal their personal backgrounds. I'm Dr. Myers. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City with 30 years of practice experience specializing in anxiety and depressive disorders, as well as sibling relationships and family systems. I'm also a professor of social work at Malloy University on Long Island. I see this as a journey of self-reflection for not only our guests, but you, because with each episode, I'm hopeful that you will learn something new about yourself. Please note that any discussion of case details have been modified to protect the privacy of our clients. This is one of a few presentations in which I will present a case I worked with early in my career so that you, the audience, can get a sense of the crucial aspect of self-awareness for the clinician. You're going to hear the range of emotions and at times raw emotions that I experience as I grapple with identifying with the client, feeling love for the client, and often or at, or at times feeling frustration. It's really quite rare to have access to the mind of a therapist and a window into the person on the other side of the couch, but I share this as part of the journey of self-exploration I'm hoping you will join me on. What would Dr. Myers do? Today, I would like to present a client I worked with in the past to give the audience a sense of what it's like to work with a client who the therapist can identify with in some ways and, and how that makes her work engaging but also challenging. So in my early career, when this experience took place, I was straddling my need to feel like a good therapist. And at the same time, I was knee-deep working on my own stuff in my own therapy. So Jesse was someone I could see myself relating to. And at times, it was really unbelievable. Our lives felt like they were taking parallel courses. This was great because it allowed for empathy, but it also presented challenges. If I'm in the same area of stuckness or contending with the same challenges, how could I help her? So let me tell you a little bit about her. She was quite compelling and really interesting to listen to. I also really liked her. She was intelligent, attractive, dressed flawlessly with style, and was seemingly quite together. But in a way, these qualities combined with my own parallel issues felt intimidating. Would I have something to offer? Apparently, this wasn't only my initial perception. She's so together-looking. What could be her problem? were the words stated by my client scheduled after Jessie the first time she saw her. She was envious of how, quote, normal she looked and puzzled about what she could possibly be in therapy for. She was thrown by Jessie's tearful emergence from session. She had broken up with a boyfriend. Jessie was intent on appearing in control, intent on appearing together, when in fact she was masking a sincere fear of being able to keep herself intact. Now, Jessie described her mother as messy, as intrusive, needy, and without boundaries. She had a close relationship with her mother and also bared a strong sense of responsibility for her emotional well-being. Her mother had suffered from depression throughout Jessie's adolescence and often relied on Jessie to carry her through these periods. 
As an adult, not to be overwhelmed by the needs of others, Jessie learned to establish rigid boundaries, which impeded her ability to always feel at ease in relationships. She did have several intimate relationships, friendships of that sort, but she was often frustrated by friends who put their needs first. So after about a year and a half of therapy, the first time I saw Jessie truly emote was after the man she had been dating for several months had broken off the relationship, apparently out of nowhere. Brad had told Jessie that he didn't see the relationship going anywhere and that he didn't feel close to her. And Jessie was stunned over this, and she began to question whether she was mourning the relationship appropriately. Now, I'm not sure what an appropriate mourning looks like, but she seemed to have some sense of what that should be, because she was still upset that after four weeks, she wasn't feeling any better. So as she talked about Brad's discontent, I was swept up by a similar experience I was having with my boyfriend. I remember that I truly enjoyed being in the relationship, but was in turmoil over the idea of being involved with someone that I just wasn't feeling those deep feelings for, knowing he wanted to work towards marriage. I was guilt-ridden, and I was confused. And I wondered, was there something that I was doing, or was there a fear I wasn't facing that was preventing me from being with this man who was educated, genuine, nice, and would make a loving husband? But deep down, I knew that while he had these wonderful characteristics, he just wasn't for me. I had spent many phone calls trying to convince friends and, I suppose, trying to convince myself that he was just too formal. I needed and I wanted someone who was able to let loose and could accept my silliness. In our beginning stages of dating, I introduced him to some friends, one who actually called him beige. And I had never heard of that term before, but it was really descriptive. So I was actually identifying with Brad rather than Jesse. And Jesse was so together, so confined with expression that she too, in a way, presented as beige. And it turned out that she was anything but. Now that Jesse was relating what Brad had said, I found myself turning to imagine what it might be like to be in an intimate relationship with her and used my experience with her to help me get there. I didn't know Brad other than through Jesse's lens, so I was careful not to identify too much with him. Then I realized that it was curious that while Jesse spoke about Brad frequently, I still didn't have a true sense of him. It took a long time for me to feel a closeness to Jessie, and I realized perhaps there was something parallel and deeper in her difficulty establishing closeness with Brad. And now my own parallel process was intruding. And now I was feeling guilty about my behavior, as I could see the pain it was causing Jessie. And I mean my behavior with my boyfriend, because I could see the pain that Brad was causing Jessie guilt over staying involved with someone who I wasn't in love with, knowing the depth of his affection for me. The pain that Jesse was experiencing was due to not knowing why or how Brad had fallen out of love. Could I learn about Jesse's relationship by getting in touch with my relationship, or was it getting in the way? I was at a crossroads, and I was bombarded with thoughts. Was I ever in love? Was Brad ever in love? Was I fearful of intimacy? Was Brad fearful of intimacy? Was my boyfriend unaware of my signals during the relationships? Was Jessie unaware of signals of communication throughout her relationship? 
Was my boyfriend merely a victim of my own chronic ambivalence? Was Jesse a victim of Brad's chronic ambivalence? A lot going on here. Then I also wondered what was Jesse's responsibility in the demise of the relationship? She felt shell-shocked, and I empathized deeply with her pain of rejection. But I also defended myself against my own guilt of what I was doing to my boyfriend by identifying with Brad. The way I saw it, Jessie's detachment made it difficult for Brad to feel close to her. Her need to be in control was being reenacted through her difficulty connecting intimately to him. And when I say intimately, I mean through emotions. There was too much to risk for her, losing herself in someone else as she had with her mother. Now, if we understand history and how it repeats herself, itself, we could think about how during her development, as she was growing up, there was little room for her own needs to be met, right? Because she was so consumed with her mother's needs. If she failed to meet her mother's needs, she risked the loss of her mother's love. Now, this was not, of course, consciously motivated, or she wasn't aware of this. She didn't do this on purpose. But I was now able to use my prior relationship experience rather than have it hinder my work with Jesse. I also felt lost in my relationship, forced to confirm to the other person's expectations. I realized that it wasn't important at this point to distinguish whether it was Brad or Jesse's behavior that caused the relationship to end, but rather Jesse's perception of the situation that would guide us towards the role she played. So while she mourned her breakup, Jesse confronted me for the first time. The parallel experience we shared, although unspoken, had made its way into the session. I wanted to empathize with her process of mourning and normalize her feelings, but instead, as we were trying to explore whether she was fully allowing herself to mourn, she experienced a disconnect. The difficulty she had experiencing the depth of her feelings was in part due to her history of not having her feelings tolerated. Her mother's needs didn't allow space for Jessie to be able to feel held with her own emotions. So she had to remain in control over her feelings, which in reality left her feeling out of control when she was having ordinary, understandable, normative reactions. So my attempt to explore how she experienced anger and hurt and sadness resulted in her feeling that I was questioning her ability to mourn appropriately. She felt criticized that I implied that she was not doing it right. She was also contending with her own fear of identification, of not wanting to be someone like Brad, whom she felt was not able to deal with strong emotions. So when she asked him to explain why he was ending the relationship, he provided a very curt answer. This left her feeling there was no sense of closure. She had to guess Brad's motivation and question the realness of his love during their time together, especially because just the week prior, he had alluded to a future together. Well, I hope it's clear that there are complexities of the therapeutic relationship, right? It's not just about the client. The therapist is far from a blank slate. She comes with her own issues, her own experience, and her own set of emotions. The challenge is to be able to walk that fine line between recognizing and using what is emotionally elicited while not allowing it to interfere with the work. 
So in an attempt to validate her own feelings of disappointment and searching to make sense of the injustice of Brad's ego bruising, Jessie began to survey her friends for their, their true opinion of him. Friend after friend portrayed Brad as a nice guy who surprised them with the breakup. But one friend's comment penetrated Jessie in a way she wasn't sure how to interpret. Brad was beige, said her friend. She paused and asked me if I knew what that meant. Well, obviously, I knew all too well. Bland, I inquired. She seemed genuinely surprised that I would be familiar with such a descriptive. I bit my tongue in an effort to suppress the desire I had to connect with her by telling her that I, too, had dated a beige man. What I didn't realize at the time was that we were connecting, So I could not therapeutically justify my personal desire to connect with her by sharing our common experience. There was really no need for self-disclosure, and I always knew I had to consider how will it benefit the client to self-disclose. And in this case, I just didn't feel like it, it would. For her to hear that I too had fallen for a beige man, especially when for her, this was not the crux of her turmoil. It was just a mere byproduct of attempting to have her feelings validated of a man who's unable to express his emotions and communicate on a deep level. But what I started to wonder about was whether she had a pattern of connecting with these men. No, I couldn't really find evidence for that. Did she worry that her fears of intimacy or issues of getting close may unconsciously drive her towards entering into a relationship with someone like Brad? No, not yet. So these questions weren't there for Jesse at this point, and and it wasn't for me to create them. It was my job to be with her in the moment, to help her to mourn her loss and to address these deeper questions when she wasn't in the midst of her pain. So the question really becomes... Or maybe the answer or the what to do becomes always know whose need is being tended to. Is it yours as a therapist? Is it your client's need? Your role is to tend to their needs. But there are times where you can tap into what you're feeling as a therapist and see if it's usable. So rather than self-disclosure, it's use of self. I could, in fact, use my own desire to connect with Jesse to help her move forward. My desire to connect with her was actually an induced counter-transferential response, meaning it was coming from her pattern of keeping people at bay. The more she didn't connect with me, the more I wanted to. She wasn't in touch with this part. This induced response was the key to understanding how she relates to people in the outside world, those in her everyday life and those with whom she is intimate. So often what's occurring between the client and the social worker, the client and the therapist, is indicative of what goes on in their world outside of the room. And it's up to me or the therapist to cipher out my reactions that are induced by the client and those that are inherent in me. After all, I'm far from a blank slate. Thanks for being with me today. I hope you learned something about yourself or about therapy, and it piques your interest in learning more, either as a client or as a therapist or just as someone interested in the underpinnings of what therapy is all about. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a question for me, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Myers Pod. That's D-R-M-E-Y-E-R-S-P-O-D. And send me a DM for a chance to get your question answered on the podcast. 
I've got some problems, yeah, I've got some questions. I need some help, point me in any direction. Clinical guidance is what I need to help me become who I'm meant to be. I've been searching for a teacher, another point of view. And I've been asking myself, what would Dr. Myers do?